message this morning is tidings of great joy, but it ain't a Christmas message, amen? Um, I want you to know that God wants you to have joy in your life, and that's why he sent his son Jesus. How happy would it be for you to receive $29,000 for about two hours work? <laughs> Somehow, Richard, I knew you would say that. Amen. I'm with you, baby. Well, that's exactly what happened to a certain employee of a catering company who was working an event for the University of Notre Dame back in 2010. After the event was over, uh, the University of Notre Dame mistakenly gave this lady a $29,000 check as a tip. And now they have a tip for her. Give it back. Amen. Uh, a lawsuit was actually filed by Notre Dame that claims that Sarah Gaspar uh, used an accidental check to play, pay her bills and also to buy a new car. Uh, it claims that the check was supposed to be for $29.87, not $29,387. So uh, it alleges that Miss Gasper never notified the university officials about the blunder, but she says that she left messages over and over again, but they were never returned. So she just thought that the, the you know wasn't a mistake, that it was legit. She said, "I guess it was there, and I was in a bad situation, so I just spent it. Um, I was filled with joy," she said. But she thought to herself, you know, I can pay some bills now. Uh, things are going to get a little bit better for me now. But I wanted to ask you, in that same situation, what would you have done? <laughs> Somehow I knew you would say that, Brother Richard. Amen? Uh, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Her attorney claims that because the money was listed as a gratuity and not wages, that she was innocent. Uh, that she did nothing wrong. But the judge said differently. The judge said, you got to give it back. Wouldn't that be awful? To think that you had been blessed beyond belief, only to find out that your blessing was a mistake. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially after you spent it. You're exactly right. But, you know, she tried to check it out beforehand. I mean, she said she made a few phone calls. But would you agree with me that deep down, she knew it was a mistake? And she spent it anyway. You see, for many people in this life, money is the name of the game. And this is not a 21st century problem because the Bible even speaks about it. Brother Howe mentioned it a bit. Uh, that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says in the New Living Translation that people who want to get rich fall into various temptations and traps and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. You see, for many people, money and material possessions are their greatest goal. 
even our culture, gauges a person's success by the size of their bank account, by the size of their house, or by how many possessions that they've accumulated. But I wanted to ask you this morning, what will make your joy complete? What would make you truly happy? And this is not a rhetorical question. I'm really asking. I want to know. What would make your joy complete? Help me out. Anyone? Betty? Okay, so if you had better health. Okay, that's a good one. What would make your joy complete? Let's be honest, okay? We're not a bunch of self-righteous people in here. You're not angels and all righteous and everything, so let's be legit, okay? That's a good one. That your family would enjoy good health. Amen. What else? Quit the bickering. Amen. Your family would get along. That's a good one. What else? What would make your joy complete? That's a big one. That your family would be saved. Amen. What else? What would make your joy complete? Anybody in here need a new car? One, two, honest people. Three, four, five, honest. Madison, you can't even drive yet. You just want a new car anyway, don't you, sis? Amen. What about a big fat bank account? Would that make your joy complete? Come on. There's, there's three of us. <laughs> Madison, she's raising her hand for that one too. Amen. Making you joy complete. There's another Madison that says that. What about a new house? <laughs> one. One. Nobody wants a new house? Two, three, four, five. He, <laughs> Brother Howell wants his finished. Amen. So he wants a new house. It's only been two years, man. You hang in there, brother. We're praying for you. Amen. Um, what about a bigger house? Maybe you decided to marry you. One, two, you can't have a new house and a bigger house. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Making your joy complete. What would make you truly? There you go, Brother Charles. Really? Brother, if you keep on, you're going to come up here and preach this message for me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> It'll be a short one. Well, this one ain't going to be a short one. Amen. <laughs> Think of the things that are making us truly happy. What would make your joy complete? How about uh, a baby? <laughs> Get out of here. What? You want a baby, Miss Mary? <laughs> hey, a lot of couples would love to have a baby. Okay? I'm not out of my mind here. Um, what about... A better job. Uh-huh, come on. One, two. Everybody's in the, the job of their greatest joy, for real. Thank you, Spencer. That's three. Um, what about a raise in salary? One, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six. That's two arms over there. Amen. Three, amen. Or, amen. Amen. You got to have a job. I mean, it, away from home, that is. <laughs> you need to raise the salary anyway, don't you? Yeah. Amen. Wow. Um, kind of touched on this one already. How about a great doctor's report? 
Friend, there are a lot of people probably, amen, Mr. Vanessa, hey, Mr. Nadine, I know, a lot of people in this room, and about 10 times as many in our community would just, it would just make them truly happy if they could get a good doctor's report. Um, what about a great vacation? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, now the truth's coming out, seven, amen, eight, all right. Lay it on me. Hey, hey, I said happy, not miraculous, all right? Enough. <laughs> that ain't happening, all right? I've learned that. In one year, I've learned that. That don't happen, amen? <laughs> what makes our joy complete? What is it that makes us truly happy? Today, John gives us the lowdown. He gives us the lowdown on what will make our joy complete. What is it? Basically, it's that which has been from the very beginning. It's Jesus. Because with Jesus, friend, you got all you need. Amen? 1 John chapter 1. I'm beginning a series uh, to take us through all the epistles of John. Uh, three short books, but they are loaded. Say loaded. You gotta say it right. You gotta say loaded. That's very good. First John chapter one verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father. And was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard and declare to you. That you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you. That our joy may be full. That your joy may be complete. Today we're going to see what John says. About Jesus who can make our joy complete. The first thing that he says about Jesus was that Jesus was from the beginning. Did you hear it? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, seen, looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Little Johnny's new baby brother was screaming up a storm. And so Johnny asked his mama, where did we get this baby? His mother replied that the baby came from heaven, Johnny. And Johnny says, well, wow, now I know why they threw him out. <laughs> then you got the Smiths. Mr. Mr. and Miss Smith took their newborn son, Billy, to the doctor for a checkup. And the doctor said, sir, you have got such a cute baby. And Mr. Smith said, well, I bet you say that to all the new parents. And the doctor said, no, we don't. Just those who are really good looking. And Mr. Smith said, well, what do you say to the other ones that are not so good looking? We just say, oh, he looks just like you. <laughs> Amen. Brothers and sisters, we all had a beginning. We all had a beginning. And last week, we learned that God grants us opportunities to begin again. As long as we stay on the potter's wheel and stay in the potter's hands. Amen. 
But there is one, only one, who never began to begin with. Amen? There is someone who never had a beginning. Who is that? That which is from the beginning which we've heard and seen and looked at and handled with our hands proclaiming the word of life. It's difficult for me to try to grasp, to try to understand someone not having a beginning. It's a challenge for me to understand someone not having a beginning, but it's true on the authority of the word of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that tell you? God was already there. Amen? Then in verse 26 of Genesis 1, the Bible says, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. What does that mean to me and you? God was already there. He couldn't have made you in his image unless he was already there. The book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. You see, God in the person of the Father, God in the person of the Son, and God in the person of the Holy Spirit was already there in the beginning of time as you and I know it. God always has been and never had a beginning. The book of Revelation, we're teaching that on Sunday nights. It begins in chapter 1, verse 8, with God saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, was, and is to come, the Lord God Almighty. And then the book concludes in chapter 22 by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what does that mean to us? It means that both God and Christ reign together from the very beginning of time as we know it, and neither had a beginning. They always were there. From all they just from past, from present, from all all the time, they were there. You and I believe in and we serve a God who is forever. He is forever past, he is forever future. He is forever. He is eternal. He's not a feeble God. He's not a powerless God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's always existed and he always will. He is the great one, the great God. He is the only one who was, who is, and forever shall be. He had no beginning. But not only was the source of our joy Jesus uh, from the beginning, we also learn in these scriptures that Jesus, the source of our joy, was seen. Seen and heard. That which is from the beginning, which we heard and seen with our eyes, we have looked at and our hands have handled proclaiming the word of life. How many people here have paid money to go to a baseball game? Raise your hand. Good. How many have paid money to see a football game? Good. How many people have paid money to see a concert? Good. Let me tell you this. 
Janet and I spent $23 a couple of weeks ago to go watch The Hobbit 3D. We fell asleep midway through the movie. What's my point? My point is, as I've stated in previous messages, that we're a little bit celebrity crazy. Amen? We're not satisfied watching the ball game on TV. We're not satisfied listening to a concert on the radio. We want to go get close. We want to go get close to them. We love watching people uh, in the flesh. We love getting as close as we possibly can. Now, for some of us, 3D has to do. Amen? But a lot of us love to go and actually be there with these people. But there's a man in the Bible. A man in the Bible who had a for real celebrity sighting. Amen? Uh, it was like no other. And his name was Isaiah. Isaiah had a supernatural celebrity sighting, and you ain't going to believe who he saw. Isaiah chapter 6, the Word of God says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above that throne stood seraphim, angels, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one angel cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the thong, tongs of the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Incredible, incredible celebrity sighting. Isaiah saw God. He saw God to see our holy God in all of his glory or at least part of his glory. It must have been absolutely amazing. But what I really want you to see is how Isaiah responded. How did Isaiah respond to this sighting, to this vision of a most holy God? What did he do? He hit his knees. He was greatly humbled and he responded in holy fear. He responded in holy fear so much that he began confessing his sin. What was his sin? What was his uncleanness? His unclean mouth. And what's the big deal about an unclean mouth? Well, when he confessed his unclean mouth, he was also confessing an unclean heart. Amen? Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Amen? So he's confessing that sin before God. 
But what happens normally when people cite a celebrity? What do most people do when they see a celebrity in a restaurant or something? What do they do? Say again? A picture? What else do they do? Autograph? What else do they do? Jump up and down, depending on who it is. Amen? <laughs> Say again? Did I hear somebody? Do what? Yeah, go, go nuts. Do they go, yes? Amen? Whisper, point. Amen? What did Isaiah do? He hit his knees. He hit his knees before this celebrity sighting. He hit his knees, was humble before God, and all he wanted was to be cleansed from his sin. That's a testimony of the holiness of God, friend. Can you imagine for just a second coming into God's presence? Can you imagine that? In Sunday school, we were talking about us being children of a sovereign God, an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. To come into His presence, what would you do? Can I tell you what you would do? You too would hit your knees. And you too would say, I am so sorry, Lord. I confess my sin. That which was from the beginning, which we heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked at and our hands have handled, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Who was John talking about? None other than Jesus, the Son of God. Let me ask you this question. If you were God, woe to be to the earth, amen? Uh, if you were God, how would you reveal yourself to mankind? If you were God, how would you reveal yourself to human beings? Well, I think that's a real good question and a most difficult question. But I believe that God knew best exactly how to do it. And so he began by revealing himself through creation. Listen to what Romans chapter 1 says in verse 19. Let me back up. Verse 18. For the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that people are without excuse. That was one way God revealed himself, through creation. But God also revealed himself through his word, through the Bible. And uh, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse two, or verse 3, listen to what John wrote. He said, now by this we know, say no. This is how you know God, okay? By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's how I know you know God is if you keep his commandments. Verse 4, 
He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. I didn't say it. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not even in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. God revealed himself through creation. God certainly reveals himself to us in the word of God, the Bible. But ultimately, God revealed himself through Jesus. Now, one of Jesus' followers named Philip asked him a question. He said, teacher... Lord, just show us the Father, and it'll be good enough for us. And Jesus answered him and said, Don't you even know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So God revealed himself in Christ. John 14, 9. And then in Colossians chapter 1, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. On further in verse 9 of chapter 2, in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. Wow. And these disciples saw him, heard him, hugged him, proclaiming, the word of life. I read where a, a Jewish rabbi once wrote, you Christians possess an advantage over us. He said, when we Jews use the word God, our listeners only have this vague concept uh, in our minds of what righteousness and power really is. But when you Christians speak the word God, your hearers immediately think of Jesus. I pray when you hear the word God, you immediately think of Jesus. Because ultimately that is the way that God revealed himself. In Jesus, you and I come to know who God the Father is. What he's like. What kind of character he has. After all, like father, like son, right? Right? God, being the source of our joy, has always existed. God, being the source of our joy, came here and was seen, heard, and touched. But Jesus also came for a purpose. Jesus was also sent for a purpose. Verse 3 of 1 John, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this. The reason we're writing this to you is that our joy be complete. That your joy be complete. A lady named Pat Montgomery told a story of a friend who got a job, and her husband agreed to take care of the house. He was stunned, however, by how much work it took to keep the house, especially with two boys. Amen? So, 
He said, you know what? We're going to have to do something here. We're going to have to get a new vacuum cleaner. And so they go to the store, and a salesman demonstrated the, the brand new model. And the salesman said it comes equipped with all the newest features, but the husband simply wasn't convinced. And he said, don't you have a riding one? <laughs> that would be cool. A riding vacuum cleaner. I might vacuum the house a little bit more, sweetie. Amen? I know you would. <laughs> a riding vacuum cleaner. I hope your purpose is not to clean house. But what is your purpose? What is your purpose in this life? Have you discovered what your purpose is in this life? See, I believe that God has a purpose for every one of us. When he created you, not only did he create you to glorify him, but he created you for a purpose. But here's the problem. Not everybody cares. Not everybody cares what God did. Not everybody cares that God created me for a purpose. Friend, I believe that when we discover God's purpose for our lives, then our lives will be a whole lot better. William Phelps stated that if happiness truly consisted in just laying back, taking it easy, if, if um, happiness truly consisted of just being totally free from care, then the happiest individual wouldn't be a man or a woman. The happiest individual would be a cow. Think about it. I think our churches have cows. Our churches have cows because they have no desire to make the church better. The cows in our churches um, have no urgency for lost people. The cows in our churches just come in and kind of take up space and feed. They're not really disciples. And I wonder, how do we move past that? One making one. Amen? One disciple making another disciple. Aren't you glad you're not a cow? Say amen if you're glad you're not a cow. I'm glad we don't have no cows here at Bethel. But aren't you glad also that, that joy is not found in just the good stuff in this life? I mean, I know we all got some good stuff in our lives, but aren't you glad this ain't it? Aren't you glad when it's all boiled away that this ain't, this ain't all? That there's more to this Christianity thing? There's more to this walk with God than what we got already? Aren't you glad that there's more to it? You know, there's only a, a certain amount of happiness you can get from this life. And the reason is, is because I believe that ultimately... Happiness comes after this life. 
So don't think this little bit you're getting here is all you're going to get. The good stuff comes later. read about a young boy who was a child of missionaries. And he was in school in the United States and was separated from his father for over a year. One Christmas time, the principal of the school came and visited with him, was trying to cheer him up a little bit. And he asked him, he said, son, what would you like to have most of all for Christmas? The boy looked for a long time at this framed picture of his father. And he was remembering that he was in a far-off land. And he said quietly, I'd like for my father to step out of that picture frame. for my daddy to step out of that picture frame and be with me. Can I tell you that God, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, stepped out of heaven to be in this world for you? He did the miraculous stepping out of the glory of heaven to be here for you. He said it in John 10, 10. He said, I've come that they may have life. And that they may have it to the full. See, we proclaim to you that which we've seen and heard. That you may also have fellowship with us. For our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. We want you to have everything this life has to offer. Is there any greater joy than having your sins forgiven? Is there any greater joy than knowing that when you leave this world, you're moving into the best of the best? Is there any greater joy than knowing that He's taking care of you today and that He will in the future? You see, Christ's mission was to come here to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm glad that he sought me and saved me because I was lost. Because I had no hope of heaven, no hope of a relationship unless he sought me and saved me. His mission was not only that, but to come and give abundant life here and now and there and then. Abundant life. His mission was to come and make our joy complete. Not joy the way we perceive it, like we talked about at the beginning of this message. He wanted to come and make our joy complete in the here and now and the there and then. For without Him, you could not have that joy. And your joy would never be complete. Now in these days, I know that most of us live for one person. Most people live for self. Do you believe that? Most of our ideas, most of our goals, most of our plans all revolve around me. Not others. 
We asked in the Wednesday morning Bible study this pertinent question. And the question was this. What is it costing you to serve Christ and others? What is it costing you to serve Christ and others? And I was asking that not to try to uh, envelop some kind of conviction. I really wanted to know. So tell me some of the things that it costs you to serve Christ or serve others. Let me get you on the right path. Does it cost you time? Anybody? Does it cost you any time to serve Jesus? Okay. That's a cost. That's a legitimate cost. Am I right? Okay, so it costs time. What else does it cost? Especially if you're a tither. If you believe what the Bible says, that a Christian ought to give 10% of his income, that's going to cost you some money. What else does it cost us? To serve Christ and serve others. Deny self, that's right, that's big. What else? You, You Wednesday night CIA servants ought to get this one. I was going to say sanity. <laughs> Amen. It's going to cost you your sanity. What does it cost you to serve Christ? What does it cost you to serve others? You know, if our government continues on its current path, you're going to start experiencing some harassment for being a Christian. It's going to cost you some harassment. In some countries in this world, it actually costs the Christian some persecution. That's right. What does it cost you? You go to jail for serving Christ and doing good to others in His name. J.W. Jowett said this, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Do you believe that? Ministry that costs us nothing accomplishes nothing? In other words, the purposes of God will not be realized without some sacrifice. Say sacrifice. The purposes of God will not be realized unless there is some sacrifice. You would not be saved... Unless Jesus sacrificed. Amen? Accomplishing the purposes of God is not about how much suffering you're willing to take. Accomplishing the purposes of God is about how much sacrifice you're willing to give. If it don't cost us something, guess what? It ain't going to accomplish nothing. If there's no sacrifices, we can't begin to see the purposes of God being manifested here at Bethel. It's going to take some sacrifice. We mentioned several of the ways. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some money. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take you losing your sanity. Hallelujah. 
It's going to take you living out your life for Christ outside these walls, which may cost you some harassment. It may cost you going to another country to share your faith. That may cause you some persecution. I don't know. But we all pretty much do what we want to do. We all pretty much do what we prefer to do, what we want to do, not what we can do for others. But the one whom we follow, the one whom we follow, the one who has reigned from the beginning, the one who stepped out of the glory of heaven and was seen and was touched, the one who came to accomplish the purposes of God came not to be served. He came to serve and to serve as a ransom for many. Christ came to make our joy complete, to make our joy full. And as his followers, guess what we're called to do? Serve others. We're called to sacrifice just like our Savior did. Just like the one whom we follow. So what are you saying, Brother Bill? I'm saying in 2013, it's our turn. In 2013, it's our turn to sacrifice. It's our turn to serve others. It's our turn. So how can our joy be made complete? It's as clear as black and white. J-O-Y. Jesus first. You know it. Others next. Yourself last. That's a secret to a great walk with God. And that's a secret to joy if I ever heard it. Jesus first. Others next. Yourself last. So if you put Jesus first in your life, if you haven't, can I tell you, you really need to. If having put Jesus first in your life, do you now focus on the good of others next? If you haven't, I want to tell you, you really need to. It all begins with a step of faith. And you can take that step of faith today if you choose. You can take that step of faith to make Jesus first. And to be a follower of him who reigned from the beginning, who came and was seen and heard, and who came to accomplish the purposes of God. You can use this decision time to recommit to the love of others. Brother Robert mentioned that the second greatest commandment is not only love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind, Love your neighbor as well. The second greatest commandment to mankind 
is to love others. So maybe you haven't made that decision in your life. Maybe it's still all about you. Maybe it's all about what I want. Me, me, me. Maybe it's time to get over yourself. Amen? Maybe it's time to put Jesus first and others next. I pray you'll do that today. Let's pray. Father, your word makes perfect sense to me. I love the simplicity of the gospel, Lord. Where you say, for by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus and that not of yourselves, lest anybody should be able to boast. Father, I pray in the name of Christ that if there's one here today who has not placed you first and doesn't know the eternal life and the relationship with you that comes as a result of coming by faith with him, I pray, Lord, that they would do that today. Lord, for those who are still stuck in their me little world, I pray in Jesus' name that they would recommit today, Lord, to make others their second priority. You first, and then others. Lord, if we'll take care of those two priorities, that last one, ourselves, that'll come along just fine. Lord, help us do that. You make the decision for someone today. Encourage them, lift them up. Give them joy, Lord. For you came to bring great tidings of joy. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say it. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing.